today is May 20th, 2015. Uh, the title of tonight's message is going to be Fighting Through Obscurity. Fighting Through Obscurity. If y'all are like me, you need to hear a word tonight that talks about fighting through obscurity. Hey Amen. So we're going to start off and we're going to jump right into the word because there is no better place to be besides the presence and the word of God. So let's turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. I was going to have Pastor Matt stand up and uh, uh, show us his t-shirt, but I'll just do that when he gets back in. It talks about, um, it's talking about Samson and, and I'm not quite sure if Pastor Matt met it as Samson or just that he should never be shaven. Uh, I think he was, I think that was a, a pro beard t-shirt is what he's got it on for. Is that what he's doing? Yeah. So, uh, but we're going to start off talking about Samson tonight. Hey man. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk. We're going to get in the Word. After we get done with this, we're just going to continue to soak in God's presence. We're going to have communion together. That any obscurity that you have in your life is just going to be completely cleared up by the end of tonight. Fighting through obscurity. Whether you feel like you are personally obscure, veiled, hidden, whether you feel like your will and what your, uh, what God's will for your life has been feels like it's been obscured to you. I don't quite know what my next step is. I believe that in either case tonight, God is going to bring a word to you. God is going to bring a spirit to you and encourage you, either give you direction, give you peace. He's going to give you whatever you need tonight. Amen? Amen. And we're going to start off in Judges chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> a lot of chapters start off that way, don't they? So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Everybody say 40 years. 40 years. I'm 40 years old. So from the length of my life, which to me it sometimes feels very short and sometimes it feels like it's been forever. And I imagine that will always feel that way because time as human beings is such a relative thing. We don't really sense time very well, do we? When we're having a good time, what do we say? Time It flies. Right? Have you ever had a day where you've just been bored at work and you just, the clock, and you're like, please, will this day ever end, right? Time doesn't change, but our perception of time changes. When I was in grad school um, at LSU, um, we actually I had one of my favorite professors that I've ever had in any subject, and he made us, we were all seeking our master's degree in music, okay? Brilliant room full of people. And we're sitting there, and he said, I want you to close your eyes, and I don't want you to count off something in your head, because as a musician, we're supposed to be able to tell what a, about 60 beats per minute. We should be able to count off about 60 seconds, one, one beat per second. So he was like, I don't want you to think through it. I just want you to sit there. We're all going to close our eyes. And he said, you're going to raise your hands after 10 seconds. He said, do not try to kick, tick it off in your head. Don't try to count it off. I just want you to see if you know what 10 seconds is. And I am telling you, that was one of the most interesting experiments. And we did it a couple of times. And he had his little stopwatch, just part of his brilliant mind and how he was doing things. Just the end result was that he was trying to get to the fact of we're really not very good at telling time. We're really not good at sensing time in our beings as, as, as human beings. And so we went through in a group of eight or nine master's level students. Actually, there were a few doctoral students in there as well. We were off from the earliest to the latest, by six seconds. We only went ten seconds in time. So the first guy or girl, whoever it was, was like at six or seven seconds. 
Just raise their hand and you just keep your eyes closed and boop, that was 10 seconds. And then the last person was, what a huge margin of error for a small group of people who are very well trained and, I mean, how, how in the world can you get that, be that bad? As musicians, we're like, out of all things, we're supposed to know what time feels like. But we don't. We really don't. Let me encourage you just to start off with, as we're getting into this, the Israelites were given to the hand, in, into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Um, let me just encourage you, however long you've been dealing with whatever you've been dealing with, <laughs> one, probably feels longer than what it's really been. It feels longer than what it's been. Your discouragement, some of those things that we bump up against, why do you feel discouraged? Because we've been dealing with the same thing for so long, right? Um, let me just encourage you. Perhaps it's not as long as it, it seems that it is to you. It feels that way. Like when a kid, what is, what, is, what is the stereotypical thing that a small child will say on a long car ride? Are we, are we there yet? Come on, man. Are we there yet? I want to encourage some of you tonight. I feel like just by my spirit, in your, in your heart, you're saying, are we there yet? Like, when are we going to get there? I don't even know what the there is in your case, but when are we going to get there? When is it going to be the time where I'm not struggling, where this doesn't feel so hard, where I can accomplish that which I feel like God spoke to me maybe a long time ago? Let me just encourage you. You will get there at the appointed time. Because if he shortchanges you, if he shortcuts what's going on, you are not going to be ready for the there even if you get there. It's still not going to be the there because you're not ready for it. So take a look here. Verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah. Everybody say Manoah. Manoah. From the clan of the Danites. Had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. I just want you to take note of something really quick. Speaking of obscurity... Uh, this is obviously going to produce Samson here shortly, but Samson's mother, Manoah's wife, is never given a name. I'm sure she had a name, but the Bible does not at all record this woman's name. I think that's very, very interesting. Bible names a lot of people. It'll give them one verse and they did this, and that's all that you ever hear. You don't hear anything before or after. It just gives a little verse about this. This is a godly woman, and you don't ever get her name. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless. Don't you just hate it when... Yeah, thanks. Exactly. Don't you love it when somebody just comes up and says kind of the... Just this kind of just puts their finger right on your hot button or right on your insecurity button. There was a guy um, at, the, at the private school that I worked out for a long time. And his way of affectionately coming up to me, I started teaching at the school when I was 21. Graduated from college and started teaching, graduated in May, started teaching in August, right? So, uh, so I'm 21 years old, and over the course of the next four or five years, um, his favorite thing to say to me was, hey, looks like you're getting fat. <laughs> that was his introductory statement to him, to me. I am a 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old guy. And I'm going, hey, man, it's good to see you. And I'm trying to be respectful of his, of his position of authority and, and what God has done in his life. And every time he sees me, he's like, huh, marriage must be good to you because you're looking fat. <laughs> Thanks, man. 
hard to argue with him because it was true. I would, you know, enjoy, I was enjoying the married life. So I can't really be that mad at him. I'm just the fact that that was his initial thing. I mean, for years. He wouldn't start off, hey, man, hey, brother, how's it good to see you? What's going on? That was his thing. Looking fat. Thanks, brethren. How do you do when people just kind of come up and go, boink? I, uh, I had um, an event that I went to last night um, affiliated with CARES, and there was this lady that was there, and she had a very, very um, thick accent. So I said, oh, you're here at this community. Yeah, I'm here at this community. Well, where were you before the community, before this community? She said, oh, I lived in Corpus Christi. I said, oh, so your accent is, she said, from Corpus Christi. <laughs> and I was like... I found out that she's from Venezuela. She was a doctor. She was a pediatric uh, doctor and, and just brilliant and very, very funny. And we had a great time. But it's kind of like, I'm trying to get at the obvious without asking, where are you really from? And when she knew that. But how do you like it when somebody comes up and kind of just strips everything away and just lays it bare? Right? It's easy for us to get offended. It's easy for us to get out of sorts and not quite know handle it, how to handle it with grace. But here's what the angel of the Lord says. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and says, you are sterile and childless. There's a direct statement identifying her condition. But, everybody say but. But But is a conjunctive word that joins two statements, one being true, the first being true, and the second being more true. If you are talking to somebody, hey, buddy, I love you, but... You don't really, you really actually shouldn't say that to someone. If you mean, please somewhat ignore the first part, because what I'm telling you second is more important than the first. I love you, but you annoy me. He doesn't. But, you know, I mean, whatever, whatever it might be, when we, when we, (laughs) you are sterile and childless. Um, When we start speaking to each other, really, if you technically use the word but, you're saying, yeah, it's true, but I mean, this is doubly important. Okay? Look what the angel says. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but thank God you're going to conceive and have a son. This is truth. We're not ignoring what's true. We're not ignoring reality. That's not what we do as believers. But we believe that we have a God who can overcome whatever the reality is. Whatever the sterile parts of our lives are, whatever those unfruitful parts are that we're worried about, that we're ashamed of, have those things that you just don't like about yourself, right? Even in the, even in the natural, even the physical, right? There are some things that you may be um, just uncomfortable with. This one's, this one's so silly. I, it, used to, it used to bother me all the time, and I think I may have even shared this. I have two drastically different size hands. Like, they, they really are, like, when I get gloves, one's, a, one's like a, a large and one's like a medium. No tricks. No tricks. Weird, right? <laughs> I used to think about it all the time, and here's why. Uh, as a, I was a clarinet player, clarinet and saxophone, so I always, I was using both my hands a lot, and it created problems, uh, just some of the, the birth things that were there, and it actually created problems for me, so I had to work really hard to kind of overcome these little, had to kind of cheat in certain things and, and do it different ways. But for whatever reason, when I was younger, it used to bother me a lot. Because you know what you do in our culture? You shake everybody with your right hand, right? I'm like, <laughs> I, can I shake you with your left hand? No. Okay. 
Thanks. You know, there are these things sometimes that, that, <laughs> that we have that are kind of funny, but it's, but it's interesting here. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> he got baby doll hands. What's wrong with that man? Now I don't even remember my point, but it's okay. I derailed myself. You're sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite. I love the fact that in this case, the boy is supposed to be a Nazarite, but God tells the mom to start acting in preparation for this. She is to follow some of these very things that goes on that her son is supposed to replicate. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. And he will begin, everybody say begin, begin. the deliverance of Israel from the hands begin. of the Philistines. Huh. He will begin what God's going to do. There is a beginning to God overcoming the things even in our lives. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. That was an interesting conversation. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. How many times does God speak to us and we don't always get it? Even when it makes an impact on us, we don't really get the fullness of it, and yet God is so patient with us. He's so merciful because he'll speak something. In this case, not quite clear if she even understood. He looked like an angel. She didn't call him an angel. But an angel just spoke to her in a way that is going to transform her life. Um, I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. Verse 7, but he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord. What a great thing for fathers to pray. Oh, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. <laughs> Lord, we've got this plan. We've got this thing that you've assigned to us, and I need you to teach me how to do it. I don't quite know. I understand now I'm getting some direction, and you're saying these things, and we've been barren and sterile and childless, but now we're going to have a child. So he doesn't really even refute it. He just says, well, if that's going to be the case, um, I need some help. I don't know quite understand how to do this. Lord, send this man back. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? When you look at those words there, the rule for his life, it's actually talking about the very same things um, like you would make a legal decision, a, a, a court ruling. Like, okay, so this is important. I've got to know what he's going to do for God has created us in Christ Jesus. He's got some works for us to do that he gave. We are the workmanship of Christ that he gave to us even before time. God has set up some things and he wants us to accomplish his will. Okay, I understand the work part of this, but what is the rule? Like, what are these parameters? Because what Manoah is saying is, I want to set this, and I want it to be exactly what we do. Show us, O God, what your ways are, so that we can set this in his life. The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. 
She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. In this little passage so far, that's the third time they've mentioned this Nazarite parameter, right? Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Um, little parenthetical statement here. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Didn't even realize that the source that God had sent him was even more influential than he had asked for. Lord, I needed an answer. Not only did you send an answer, but you sent one who represents your very presence to me. Wow, what an incredible God. Verse 17, Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. That was awful nice of him. He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. (laughs) Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. Sacrificed it on a rock. It doesn't say altar. It says on a rock. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. (laughs) Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. I just get all these pictures in my mind. So they're there. They make an offering. It starts to get burned up. This angel of the Lord rises on the flame and on the smoke up into the heavens. They get kind of freaked out and fall down. But the Bible says that they don't, still don't realize it's really the angel of the Lord until the angel doesn't show back up. As if it were some magic trick or something. <laughs> Poof. Ha ha. I disappeared. And they're like, well, I guess he's not coming back. And it was then that they finally realized, I just appreciate the Bible so much because I think I'm, it reflects me more often than I'd like for it to. <laughs> How God is moving and I'm going, oh, I still didn't get it. And he does something else and I'm like, oh yeah, I still didn't get the full picture of what's going on. Verse 22, we are doomed to die, Manoah said to his wife. We have seen God. Have you ever been freaked out in a situation, but you really didn't freak out till after the situation was over? You kind of think back on an almost car accident and you think about it later and you're like, I could have died. You know, oh my God. Like it just, you're kind of doing and you're going and you, it just doesn't hit you till later. Kind of like we, like we'd call it when I was growing up, a grenade joke. You know, somebody tells a joke and it just sits for a while. And then the more you think about it, later on in the day, you start laughing. You're like, oh, that was really funny. <laughs> I didn't get it. I, oh, call it a grenade because of the time release. We have a little grenade situation here where it kind of takes him on. We're doomed. We're going to die. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. Oh, yeah, you're right. We're not going to die. Okay, we're good. Then the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. One of my favorite phrases in this passage. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Can I encourage some of you guys that this time, right now, I don't mean globally, I mean today, last few days, last few weeks, last few months, this period of time that we are in now, I believe that God is trying to stir, the Spirit of the Lord is trying to stir some things up in us. 
Sometimes that stirring can obscure what's going on just a little bit. It feels a little fuzzy. Have you ever just woken up from a nap and you're just like, ugh, I slept too long on the nap, and now I'm kind of just not sure what day it is, kind of, day, as they say, dazed and confused. Some of us walk around in our Christian life and we're a little bit dazed and confused sometimes. I'm going to encourage you to understand that the Spirit of the Lord is trying to stir something up within you. Trying to stir up a, a, a renewed sense of His vision and His purpose in your life. To set aside the discouragement and the cloudiness and go, this is what God has for me. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I've, I've kind of gotten distracted. I've gotten busy with other things and I've forgotten what's important here. I'm a part of a group and we're all trying to do things, but sometimes it's easy to forget because of all the motion and the commotion the purpose that God has for us, the direction that He's telling us to go, the things that He's trying to stir us up with. <laughs> he's trying to stir us into something incredible. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manea Dan between Zorah and Eshtoel. Wherever you are in between these two places in your life, between where you're going to go and between where you've been, let the Spirit of the Lord stir you up. Let the Spirit of the Lord cause you to come alive and afresh in a new way and go, I'm not even quite sure what all this stirring is, but Lord, I'm going to recognize it as you. I don't want to wait till you're gone and have to come to this freak out moment like, oh, God was trying to tell it to me and I couldn't get it. He was trying to tell me and I've been kind of cloudy. I need to listen in a different way to what he's doing. Turn to... Uh, I think the first time I ever spoke and came and, and came through at the church, I think I spoke on Gideon. I think I spoke out of this chapter, if I remember correctly. Years ago, Pastor Eric was great, and Pastor Matt were gracious enough to let me speak way back then. Um, I want you to start off. Yes, <laughs> part of the evil plan, um, the godly plan. Verse 17, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 17. Really, what reminded me of Gideon was this. Gideon basically has a very, very similar experience to what Manoah did in the fact that he was conversing with the angel of the Lord and actually had no idea that that was what was going on. <laughs> the God of all creation was orchestrating things. He found this guy hiding in a threshing floor, right? He was hiding there, and the angel said, comes up to him and says, Hey, you mighty man of valor. Come on, man of God, what are you doing? Hey, look, uh, and he just starts talking to him. But in verse 17, Gideon replied, If I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. There's something that's consistent with both of these. Even though they didn't understand the fullness of what God had done, there was still a heart that was ready to sacrifice. There was still a heart that was ready to make an offering to the Lord, even in the midst of not fully getting it. Um, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Thank you, Lord, for your patience for us. There's the, the Lord of all creation. No, I'll wait for you. Wow. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat from uh, FF of flour. He made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and his broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord 
said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock. When we are allowed and when we put our sacrifice upon this rock, when we set what we are and who we are and we place it as a sacrifice on the rock, then there's always a revelation of what is needed for us to find. It's right here. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. Amen. The fire of God's Spirit that will consume us, our, what we've placed, our very life, our very body before Him, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I'm going to die! But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Let me encourage you, when you look at the circumstances around you and you're like, Hey, ha! I'm not going to make it through this. Peace. You're going to make it through this. Let me encourage you, church. Peace. Be at peace in your spirit. Don't let the circumstances that are swirling around you, obscuring what God's will is sometimes. You keep placing your offering and your uh, sacrifice on that rock. Let the fire of God's presence be there to consume that. And He will give you peace. He will give you clarity. It's right after this that obviously Gideon, it's right after this that Samson, and we start learning more about his story. Throughout the Bible, you see these times when people make their sacrifice, they make the offering first, and there's clarity that comes as God consumes the sacrifice. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Tell me there when you are there. Good job, Julie. That was fast. Starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Maybe there's some things in our lives that it's time that we end our mourning and we move forward. We end our mourning over what has happened, we end our mourning over what we lack. We end our morning what we are not, and we just move on. We just get with, with, with what God has for us. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Find the anointing presence of God and move on. Let's just move on from wherever we've camped in our morning. Let's move on. Let's move forward with what God has for us. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he will kill me. Then the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. When does the Lord show Samuel what to do? As he's going forth. You go do that. Just like the priests who were going about to cross over the Jordan in Joshua's day. What did they have to do? They had to step into the waters at flood stage. That's the kind of God that we serve. You would think that He would always do it in front of us to clearly mark out the path and then we step. That's usually not the way it's worked in my life. That's usually not the way I see it working throughout the Bible. We usually have to obey before we see. <laughs> we pay our tithes before we know that we're going to have enough for the month. We go forward in faith and we move before there's a job. We go forth and we go on that trip not quite sure. We commit to going on a mission trip because even if we're not quite sure how the funds are going to go, we're going to step out and we're going to show God our faith, and He's going to meet us there. Amen. When we walk in obedience, when we walk into what He's saying, 
We have to take this step. And He is pleased with our sacrifice. He is pleased with as we lay that on the rock. He is pleased with us moving forward, even though it looks like it's an impassable and obscure place that we're going. He is pleased when we do that. And we can move forward. Samuel did what the Lord said, verse 4. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. (laughs) They trembled. I remember as a young boy, we would have people come through and um, they were kind of touted as a certain, certain prophet. Used to scare the bejesus out of me. I was like, I'd go in and I had a fear. that <laughs> My fear as a young person was that the Lord was going to tell them something bad that I was doing. Like that was the only comprehension that I had of a prophet. Not that God would help bring direction or anything else. I was, I was in very reverent fear, which by the way is be very true as well, right? But I went, <laughs> I would really, I mean, I remember being eight and nine and just sitting there and going, Lord, please forgive me for all my sins. I mean, like, I was like, oh, I was Catholic. I died. Oh, please, please, Lord, I want to be right with you because this guy hears from you. I don't want to displease you and I surely don't want to get it called out in front of all these people. Lord, I, please, please make, I want to be right with you. And it was actually a very good thing in my life for me to honor and fear what the man of God or the woman of God might say. Uh, my mom used to do that to me too. I had, a, I had a holy and reverent fear of my mother that she, I remember in middle school or in early high school, she was like, you may be bigger, you may be stronger, you may be smarter than me, but God will tell me if you do something wrong. <laughs> And, and she was right. The, I, I don't have, you know, I'm not going to glorify even the mistakes that I made. I lived a life and from the time I was young, I stayed in the Lord. I don't have any uh, grandiose testimonies of me going out and sowing any wild oats. I think there's a keeping power that the Lord can have. I think that you guys should serve the Lord your entire life. Yeah. The idea that a young person has to go off and be some prodigal for a while, and then come back and serve the Lord, really, that's, that's ridiculous. I'm an example in my life of, not that I've done everything right, but I'm an example of someone who's literally just stayed in the house of the Lord all, all the days of his life. There are other people here. But I remember, uh, even if I would try to make a mistake, or I'll kind of testing boundaries, as they say, as a young person, and I would try to do something, my mom would somehow always find out about it. And there wasn't that many, it didn't take that many times because when I did it, I made a mistake and I was like, I'm going to stay out later than I should intentionally. I'm going to intentionally break what my, what my parents have said. And she would always find out and like immediately call me on the carpet and say, you didn't do this by accident. You did this on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> You're right, mom. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Man, what a, what a great thing to have parents who actually hear from the Lord and called me out on it. And it's, it's what I needed to help form who I was. Sam- <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. For whatever reason, they were trembling, but I think we should always have a trembling in our hearts before the Lord. If you ever get to the point, our culture, our world, our... American churchianity wants to tell you that fear of the Lord doesn't actually mean fear of the Lord. It means something else. Yes, it's a respect. Yes, it's an honor. And it should be 
you should be afraid. You should be afraid not of the one who can kill the body, but who can destroy your soul. That should be part of our lives as Christians. And we will hold both to that and the fact that he is a loving God. But I, I like this part of the story. It reminds me that I should enter into his presence with a little bit of fear and trembling. It keeps me wanting to go back and making sure that I'm pure before him. It's a healthy thing. They asked him, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Everybody say consecrate. Consecrate. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Before you can make the sacrifice and lay it on the rock, there's a consecration that has to come. Lord, I know that you accept those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who do not lift their souls to another. I want to consecrate myself as I come to present. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I've shared this before, and whether it's in music, whether it's in business, you want to find the quote-unquote most attractive people, and they will be the ones making the most money typically because man judges by the outside. But God looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by and, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? This is such an interesting story to me. Bring all your boys. Your one instruction as a dad is to bring all your boys. You got eight of them. Jesse brings seven. <laughs> have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt left out? Right? Are these all the sons you have? Because I'm supposed to, one of your sons is supposed to be king and I don't see him. Oh, they're still the youngest. That's eh, still the young. I got one more. That's really inconsequential. Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. (laughs) If we're in obscurity, or if God's will to us right now is, is being obscured, the answer is to find the presence of the Lord, to make our sacrifice on the rock, and allow God to be with us in a way just like David had. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. I don't know about you. I just need more of the Spirit of the Lord on my life every day. Whatever we have achieved as a church, whatever we've achieved as individuals, we need to have more of the Spirit of the Lord on us. We need to have Him refining us more and more every day. Whatever that we've been going through is to help us to be able to do this more. If you feel like it's been too long that you're in the current station, let me encourage you. Lord, as long as Your presence is with me, as long as your presence has been seen, I don't care what the cost. This is what I'm seeking. I'm seeking your presence. I'm seeking your face. I'm seeking for you to be so much a part of my life that I can revel, that I can take joy in the weakness, not in my strength. That has been so much a part of my journey in this life 
is to go, Lord, I need to revel not in what I can do, but I need to enjoy and actually celebrate the things that I cannot do because you probably get, you get, not probably, you get more glory in what I can't do on my own without you than anything that I might be able to achieve. I'm just going to go ahead and lay it all down on the altar. I'm going to celebrate the fact of what I can't do, not in a self-deprecating way, but I'm going to go, God, I know that I can't without you. I know that I can't. There's no delusions of anything else other than having your spirit as a necessity in my life. Turn to uh, Exodus chapter 2. You guys with me? Yes. We're quiet on a Wednesday night. Hopefully it's because you're thinking, not because you've fallen asleep here. So Exodus chapter 2. Jules, I like that. First one to say it. I like it. Exodus chapter 2. Obviously, we're talking about the birth of Moses here. We're talking about someone. um, I I won't go all the way through it. Uh, Let's start in verse... Let's start in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing that this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the, um, the, one in the wrong, so he'd around enough to be able to assess which one was right and which one was wrong. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? <laughs> the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? But isn't that exactly what he was made to be? Yes. Ruler and judge over them. That's exactly what he was made to be. Who made you ruler and judge? (laughs) You're sterile and barren. Some of those things, in this case, it was used as a whip against him because he wasn't quite living up to that yet. Um, Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Where he sat, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. My hero. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. Even, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. Those seemingly inconsequential things, he's down, he is running away. He is running away from where we all know that he will end up. The things he's being accused of, who made you ruler and judge, is exactly what he's designed to be. He is running away from that. And yet God orchestrates the steps in his life. (laughs) The steps of the righteous are ordered by God. Um, I've had more interesting things lately um, that were on my job. <laughs> what I keep encouraging them is, you know, we would do a lot better if we prayed more about this. And these are genuine people and wonderful people that I get to work with. We pray about it. Uh, I got a chance to meet an owner of five different apartment communities. You can never get a hold of the guy. The higher up you go, the less they want to talk to you. He literally walks in while I'm having this meeting with somebody. We have a 15-minute conversation that could open up 10 or 12 other mission fields in the city of Houston for us. Just walks in. 
big tall guy. Hey, I didn't. I, he he just looked like he might be a uh, like a maintenance supervisor. I was like, oh, just khakis and a t-shirt, you know. Hey, how you doing? Hands me his card. And I'm like, oh, you're the owner of this whole joint. Wow. How about it's not any, uh, it's not by chance when he sits down at a well and the right people show up and he does the right thing and it causes God's plan to continue on. Even in the smallest type of circumstances. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. I'm sorry, verse 21. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. <laughs> Moses stayed in this land a long time, didn't he? During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. As if God had forgotten, right? The word there is it, it came back up to be the central part of this plan. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about him. We get to Moses in the burning bush. Turn a few pages to Exodus 7, 7. The idea that all these things take place and we can read them in a matter of minutes and they take a lifetime to achieve. (laughs) He's there from the baby in in the basket in the Nile River, gets picked up, we see him killing a guy when he's a grown man. Burning bush, he comes back to start to talk to Pharaoh. And look what Exodus 7, 7 says. Moses was 80 years old. Well, we covered 80 years pretty quickly, right? <laughs> Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Wow. What a long time it took. That, time, that whole time factor comes back in to go, God's plan was not deterred. God still intended for Moses to be the ruler and judge of his people and to lead them in the Exodus. And he's now getting around to it then. Let me encourage you, however long you've been waiting, you still need to accomplish what God has given you to accomplish. Turn, turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to turn the corner here. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Going to take a look at another very important figure here. Chapter 3, verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who uh, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Mm. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And we do not... Think you can say to you, and, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of the stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. All these pictures of, of, these fi- of this fire, the Holy Spirit, the anointing oil, the fire that consumes the sacrifice that's on the rock. We see it throughout these folks who really, if you want to look at it, at some point, as important as they were for the kingdom, they had an obscure, they lived in obscurity. John was out in the, in the desert. He was out the weirdo. <laughs> the one prophet, right? But he was, he was dressed in camel hair and, and a leather belt. He was eating locusts and wild honey. He was not the one fitting in with what was, else was going on. He was the one making a mark around him. Um, take a look. Take a look at chapter four really quickly. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's amazing how in each of these stories you get some, some confrontation of actually who the person is. These attacks on who they really are by the words of other people. And this is the enemy. If you're really the Son of God, let me, let me challenge you who, who you really are. If you guys are really, you know, cut out to do what you say you're going to do, your life-changing ministry, if you're really going to go and change some lives, what about this? These conflicts that come at each point. If, um, verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, He said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Let me encourage you, church. Let's not put the Lord our God to the test of what He said to us. Let's not waver in unbelief, though the time may feel like it's ticking on and it's taking too long for us to get there. Let us be faithful at what he has said. Let us not put the Lord our God to the test. Again, the devil devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I really just want to encourage you guys tonight, just as we're doing this, we're going to, we're going to worship here again in just a minute. We're going to take communion together. If God has you in a place right now, or you are in a place right now and things feel fuzzy to you, the will of the Lord is not clear. You feel like you're observing in obscurity. I think God is giving us a very clear way to go about this. We're going to offer ourselves, we're going to re-offer ourselves as a sacrifice to Him. We're going to, we're going to reassign this, we're going to put this on the altar and watch the Spirit and fire come and consume it in a way that will clarify His will to us. That will move us forward. Where we will not be discouraged, we will not have our hands hanging down, we will be able to move forward in exactly what God has for us to do. Each as an individual and collectively. Hebrews chapter 11, 
verse 20, yeah, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. (laughs) No ordinary child. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. (laughs) He valued the obscurity of living out and being a shepherd on the backside of the desert for up to 40 years or more. He counted that, the disgrace of that, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all of the treasures of Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Why did he persevere? Because he saw the one that's invisible. Let me encourage you. (laughs) The one who seems obscured to us sometimes, Moses saw him. We've seen him here at this church. Many of you have seen him in your life operate again and again and again and again. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And it goes on and on and on about our faith and what's required for us to please our Heavenly Father. If we'll have the worship team come on back up. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. We're going to take communion here in just a minute. We're going to start worshiping. As soon as we begin the worship time, I want you guys to go ahead and get the communion elements and hold them. We're going to take it together. My prayer for us tonight, as we put our lives back on the altar, back on the rock, we reestablish it where it should have been the whole time, where it needs to be. Our lives are not our own. We are just called to sacrifice everything that we are to Him. I want to do that afresh and anew tonight in my own walk with the Lord, in my own heart. Lord, I want You to consume my life with Your Spirit and with fire. That maybe as it's consumed, others will realize, oh, the Lord has really been among us. That He will get the glory from our lives. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw Him who is invisible. It's amazing that our job as believers is to see the invisible. It's to look at something in the natural, and though we may be able to say, yes, it's barren and childless, but, Lord, I, I haven't accomplished nearly what I want to accomplish for You in my life, Lord. But, I'm going to trust that as I put my life on the altar, that You will consume it and it will please You. It will please You and it will make an impact to those around me. Let's stand together.